coming up on the programme this evening. Shaman Showman, a new documentary about master playwright Brian Friel. And the Eagles are back out on tour. Are they really the most hated band of all time? Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the programme at RTE Arena. And a very happy new year to you all. Hope you had a great Christmas and that you enjoyed the programmes we shared with you over the festive season. Airing on RTE One this Thursday evening, Shyman Showman is a new documentary about the playwright Brian Freel. Freel, of course, best known for international hits like Philadelphia, Here I Come, Translations, Dancing at Lunasa, as well as co-founding Field Day Theatre Company with actor Stephen Ray in 1980. The breadth of contributors to this new documentary is a measure of the affection and respect in which Brian Freel was and is held. They include playwright Tom Stoppard, actor Sinead Cusack and Siobhan McSweeney. But the heart and soul of the hour, I think, belongs to Brian Freel's widow, Anne. Connell Morrison has been watching the, the documentary for us. He joins me this evening. And I suppose, Connell, to start off, Happy New Year to you, first of all. But in the interest of openness, we should also say that Anne Freel is your aunt, um, so you probably know her in ways that many of us don't. And let's face it, she, as was Brian Freel himself, they were, yes, they were public figures, but they were very private about their 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 lives really and truly for, for people who were, in, in some ways, could have been just had a big spotlight shone on them for their entire lives. They kept quiet about themselves. Uh, they did, and uh, for your reserve shown and for rumbling me there, but uh, uh, I should, you know, I should give a disclaimer in that I unfortunately can't claim any kind of blood connection with Brian. Um, Anne was my, my, my late father's sister, so that's the uh, that's that's the uh, that's fine. But we're saying you you were her ne- <laughs> you were her nephew. We're not saying you were Brian uh, Freed. Although I'm sure you called him. Yeah, no, I'm sure you called him Uncle oh, no, Brian. I did indeed. Absolutely, absolutely, Uncle Brian. But I think he would he would you know very definitely disclaim me, especially as a as a as a director, a profession about which he was slightly slightly dubious. Oh, no, they are indeed. I mean, they you know they were a, a kind of a. a a private couple who weren't necessarily involved in the, you know, sort of the giddy whirl of it. That's not mm. to say that they, you know, that they didn't enjoy the sociability of theatre and uh, the camaraderie of actors and uh, and the great excitement of it all. But they're very, very true to their, their you know, their locale. If one house here in um, in the Shown where I'm talking to you from, and then another house over in West Donegal. So, um, you know, very, very convivial, mm. wonderful, warm bright, intelligent, lovely people. But uh, but no, not 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 kind of social gadabouts. No, none of that. And so w- were you surprised then when you heard, because essentially for me, anyway, I haven't watched the documentary. Yes, we hear some great contributions from those, of, from people in the theatre world or, uh, itself. But it is wonderful to hear Anne Friel, the, the wife of Brian Friel, telling us really about the man as much as she tells us about the playwright. Yeah, I mean, the documentary is great. It's a wonderful seance with the great man himself but uh, it's it's superb to have Anne front and centre so well represented and, and proper order too um, you know Anne is so intelligent and insightful about the work and indeed obviously about the man himself she was you know his first reader and his best critic um, uh, and as people who see the documentary see she, she is um, you know she takes no prisoners no, <laughs> she, she, she gives you know Okay. Full and frank disclosure about uh, you know the the processes, the stories, the the characters involved, but you know you, uh, it's very moving just to see uh, how devoted she still is to, uh, yeah. to him and his memory. 
Yeah, and, and it is the very beautiful opening scene where she's, she's in uh, Brian Friel's study and she has rearranged the pictures of his great moments. And, and, and she says, you know, he'd have hated it. He couldn't have looked up at the Tony Award. He couldn't have looked up at the picture of himself mm. and Meryl Streep. He couldn't have looked up at the picture of himself and Tom Stoppard. But she wants to look up at them. And it's, it's just a lovely, touching uh, way that she, she, she brings him back to us in that way. But let's hear from her early on in that documentary, in fact, uh, uh, Man Show. Man, where, she, uh, where Anne is talking about how she first met Brian Friel. Brian's family had taken a house just across the road. I used to play the piano, so I would be there playing an accompaniment for anybody. People enjoyed it because there used to be a regular crowd that would come and they'd all do songs. I don't ever remember Brian singing, funny, but because he had a lovely voice. He was tenor and uh, his voice was trained, and um, that's where I met him first. Oh, he was the life and soul of the dances, and he used to do MC, and he'd sing, and he played the mouth organ, and he played the guitar. He was a man about town. <laughs> what a description from Anne Friel of Brian Friel. Indeed. There. A man yeah. about town. <laughs> I wonder how he, what yeah, he'd think no, about that. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I, did, I didn't quite know about that, 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 that side of him, you know. Um, but uh, I didn't know, I mean, Tom Murphy told me a story about the, the two of them playing guitar together. You know, and uh, he obviously be very, very convivial in company. Not a man for kind of hanging around in in pubs or, or big gatherings and something like that. But um, you know, huge, great crack uh, in, in company. And as, as um, you know, Stephen uh, Ray says in the documentary, you know, give him a, a glass of brandy or a gin and tonic, and yeah. uh, and he was away. Yeah, a couple of jokes, I think, is the precise phrase that Stephen uses. A couple uses. of jokes is, is, is how Mr. Ray says it. Yeah, is, absolutely. Is so, it, you know, is how he puts it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but essentially, I mean, yes, of course, we do get that lovely family side and that lovely um, story of the man himself, uh, yeah, and the the countryside in which he grew up. First of all, in Oma, and then moving up to 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 mm. to, to Derry and Donegal later, later on. Um, but let us let us uh, get to the, the the nuts and bolts of the matter here, which really is his playwriting and how he became such a master craftsman. I mean, when he when he started out, he he was quite bold in in a move out to Minneapolis uh, to to visit the Tyrone Guthrie, the new theatre that Tyrone Guthrie had built there at the time. Yeah, I mean that was uh, you know one of the many acts of great kind of creative courage um, uh, uh, that that he he pursued in a, in a, a sort of a long creative life. You know, he um, he had a very successful career as a short story writer, and they're wonderful short stories. I mean, they're up there with the best of Michael Connor and Sean O'Fuela and the best. But he he wanted to pursue this. He wanted to pursue playwriting. He'd written some radio plays and a, a play for the Abbey. Um, a uh, but the the enemy within, but he you know he knew that he had more to learn. So um so they they up sticks and uh, with very little money um they went off to Minneapolis where uh, um, the great Tyrone Guthrie was was uh, founding the theatre and he sat there at the back for um uh, for months just watching uh, Guthrie direct Farker and Wilde and Shakespeare and Guthrie's use of music and his relationship with drama through music. And um, and he he learnt a vast amount from from that experience and came back and then as a result of that experience and things that he'd been meditating on he wrote um, Philadelphia yeah. Here I Come I mean, and and made a massive shift in in Irish theatre you yeah, know for um, sure he by uh, 
famously there he's got you know gar public and gar private he splits the characters in half and it's almost as if he kind of as it were sort of split the atom the kind of the energy that he released both into that play yeah. but into our theatre continued to reverberate through um, uh, the coming decades Let's listen to, to Brian Friel himself from the documentary then obviously this is archive material uh, where he's describing that decision to head off to Minneapolis I find myself at 30 years of age embarked on a theatrical career and almost totally ignorant of the mechanics of playwriting and play production, apart from a modest intuitive knowledge. Just like a painter who has never studied anatomy, or like a composer with no training in harmony. So I packed my bags, and with my wife and two children, went to Minneapolis in Minnesota, where a new theatre was being created by Tyrone Guthrie, and there I lived for six months. Brian Freeler in a clip from the documentary airing on RTE One Television this Thursday evening. Shy man, showman, and Connell Morrison is with us this evening. Connell has seen the, the documentary. It is a great title for it in in many ways. That uh, it is. There's a touch of the public private even in that title. Shy man, showman. Yes, it's something that Stephen Ray <clears throat> says in, in the documentary. And and you know, there was that shyness to him, as I said. He, you know, he wasn't one for kind of you know hanging out in the bars and kind of glad handing and so on. Um, uh, not to say, as I said, that he can be, you know, immensely convivial in, uh, in the right company. Um, but and then laterally, you know, the kind of the, the shyness, as it were, um, was reflected in the fact that he kind of be stopped giving interviews. He just mm-hmm. sort of said, actually, the work is is going to be um, everything. I don't need to say anything else. I'm spending two years writing each play. I don't. I don't need to add to that, you know. But the showman part of it is true that a man who had from that experience of Guthrie on to all of his meditation on what the art form could do, he was a, a superb, he turned himself into a superb man of the theatre, you know. He turned himself into a wonderful entertainer, a wonderful storyteller, uh, a man who, of course, investigated all sorts of complex themes about language and memory and history, but who knew, as Tom Stoppard says in the documentary, how to tell a wonderful story, yeah. how to I, I, delight an audience, how to entertain an audience, how to make an audience laugh like a drain. And and as you say, it, it is interesting that, you know, towards in, in the latter part of his career, perhaps when he was at his most famous, it was most difficult and nigh on impossible to get an interview with him. And he would be very mm. polite in saying to you, I remember sending a letter to him about something I was doing. And he said, that sounds like a great idea, Sean. I was excited for all of one part, one sentence. And he said, but <laughs> alas, um, good, the best of luck with it. I will, I, and it wasn't, it wasn't rude. It was, you know, the very best of luck. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. goes really well, but um, I, I, I don't want to be part of it. And that was fine. It was perfectly acceptable. But, you know, giving, yeah, even hearing yeah. from him, it was a good idea. It was enough, enough to give me a bit of a G up. But um, to what extent do you, this might link in in some ways that, that's, diffidence if that's the right word or certainly that shyness and quietness he was quite overt early on particularly in in, in political terms he was quite overt in freedom of the city was that to what extent do you think maybe explain what the play was doing and to what extent do you think that experience chastened him in some ways well the freedom of the city is you know uh, sort of inspired by uh, the tragedy of bloody Sunday you know so he you know, um, you know, he had been involved in in nationalist politics. He'd been a, a steward on on various of the civil rights marches and so on. So, you know, the um, the situation on the ground just kind of forced him into some kind of response to it. But his plays are never 
remotely simplistic, you know. Mm. Um, Freedom of the City is as much a play about the impossibility of writing a play about Bloody Sunday as it is a play about Bloody Sunday. It's a play about how difficult it is to tell any one particular truth. The various characters in it, all of them are revealed to be partial. Um, A sociologist, uh, um, a priest, a broadcaster, a ballad singer. Um, So act, uh, and then the characters, the central characters themselves, who um, find themselves in the Guild Hall, they're they're escaping from uh, uh, um, a civil rights march and they end up being shot at the end of it. And um, even then, we discover that we we find it very hard to get at their actual kind of at their actual truths. Mm. It's only in the moment of death where they have these monologues that they that they can reveal themselves. So it does. It was written out of the outrage and the sorrow of what happened in yeah. Bloody Sunday. But as ever, he puts it through a much more complicated and a much more satisfying filter than that. As I said, it's about the difficulty of um, of any one truth being properly known, any one per- truth being properly properly mediated. Mm-hmm. And now the play, I mean, in the documentary, uh, Stephen Ray is very uh, uh, telling about it, that it got savage as if it was indeed a piece of kind of unreconstructed Republican propaganda. The play is in- infinitely more subtle than that, and it was just a sign of the times that um, a play like that could not be heard properly. Yeah, let's have a listen, actually. The first, it's a clip here that features Stephen Ray reading from The Freedom of the City to, to start out with, and then subsequently Brian Freed talking about the role of the Northern writer in the 1970s. I'll tell you why you march. Because you live with 11 kids and a sick husband in two rooms that aren't fit for animals. Because you exist on a state subsistence that are about enough to keep you alive, but too small to fire your guts. Because you know your children are caught in the same morass. Because for the first time in your life, you grumbled and someone else grumbled and someone else. And you heard each other and became aware that there were hundreds, thousands, millions of us all over the world. And in a vague, groping way, you were outraged. The Northern situation is, is basic to everything that one does, I think, here. And if you, if you are, and I, as I was a member of what is known as the, the Northern minority, I think you're conditioned from, almost from birth. Now, I have tackled it only once directly in a play called The Freedom of the City. But I still think that's true of, of all the Northern writers. It's, um, if it's not handled directly, it certainly, it informs everything they write and it informs all their attitudes. And that's Brian Freel himself and before that Stephen Ray reading from The Freedom of the City and we're talking this evening about the new documentary Shyman Showman being shown on RT1 television this Thursday evening. Conor Morrison with me on this first arena of 2022. I suppose if he referred to politics directly in The Freedom of the City uh, the setting up of Field Day with Stephen Ray and that when you think that it was their debut production translations what a phenomenal statement that was that was not direct it was a more oblique statement, perhaps, on politics, but boy, was it a statement. Yeah, it was. It's a, a remarkable play that has politics and history and language and love all, all packed into it. Um, uh, Stephen and Brian set up the company, you know, originally there was maybe talk of them opening the play in um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the Opera House in Belfast, but then they realised actually that would be under somebody else's agenda. 
And they realised actually that no, the best place to do it in was going to be the Guildhall in Derry, a place that was you know, obviously not um, a theatre, but a place that had kind of you know huge and loaded significance, especially for the kind of the national community. So again, with great kind of vision and courage and chutzpah, that's where they put it on, and um, it was a, a legendary night. It was a legendary cast. Um, Stephen Ray and a uh, young fellow called Liam mm. Neeson and, <laughs> yeah. and Nuala Hayes and Mick Lally and uh, Ray McAnally and directed by um, uh, the late great Art O'Brien. Yeah. Um, and the stories of it are, are, are indeed legendary. Everybody knew instantly that they had witnessed something that was theatrically superb, but also in its own subtle way, quite kind of politically important. It was sort of saying we've actually got to um, uh, evolve our our language. We've got yeah. to evolve how we look at history. We've got to look at uh, the mechanisms of misunderstanding. So, as ever, in terms of the showman, a superb piece of theatre. But it 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 began to set out and um, send out ripples from um, from the uh, from the from the opening night, and that included people who didn't like it. That included people sort of who mis who misread it or took a gin it. Even that was. And proof of its yeah. potency. Let's hear what Stephen Ray had to say about uh, what, what Freel told him about the play and in fact told him about everything as we find out in this clip. As Freel said to me himself, it's all about language. And I said, what, the play, translations, the theatre? No, he says, everything. Everything is about language. And that has stayed with me. And uh, that that we were offering language as a solution to the terrible, terrible things that were going on in this town and in this part of Ireland. Uh, Stephen Ray from the documentary Shaman Showman. Just before we finish up, Conal Morrison, about the documentary, I do want to go to um, to Faith Healer because we mentioned it in terms of uh, Philadelphia, here I come, what an innovator he was. And indeed, as we heard, just as we were coming to earth, there was an ad for the current production of Faith Healer, mm. once again directed by Joe Darling, who has such a long history with that play and who spoke to us about, about the play um, before Christmas. Uh, how innovative a play do you think it was? Um, oh, very much so. I mean, the fact that actually it's four monologues just hadn't been done before. Um, uh, and again, it's just testament to the man's artistry that he pulled it off so brilliantly. It's also interesting that at the time, some of the plays hadn't been quite so well received. And rather than sort of saying, oh, I'm going to try and write some crowd pleaser, he actually goes in the opposite direction and distills down yeah. into a piece that is chiseled and lean and spare and a piece that sort of asks itself, why does the magic disappear sometimes, you know? And the faith healer sometimes, the, the magic doesn't work. He doesn't heal people. And that's Freel asking himself as a playwright, why does one thing work and uh, and, and another thing doesn't? But, you know, it's a, it's a superb achievement. And um, my tickets are booked for the end of this week. And I'm just praying to God that the cast stays safe and well yeah. for me until then. So I get to see it. Well, OK. Well, listen, lovely to speak. I'm going to finish up with, um, I suppose, the most famous performance of Faith Hill, undoubtedly featuring Donald McCann in the role of Frank Hardy. And, f- and phenomenal to see that piece of archive cl- uh, clip uh, footage within the documentary itself. Mm. And subsequently then you'll hear Sinead Cusack speaking to the, the kind of innovation that you just mentioned to us, Connell. But uh, thanks for being with us this evening. Very happy New Year to you and yours. Uh, and thanks very much, Sean, and to yourself. Faith healer. Faith healing. A craft without an apprenticeship. A ministry without responsibility. A vocation 
without a ministry. His innovation as a playwright was blinding. I mean, you know, when we did Faith Healer, and I read Faith Healer and I thought, no, it's just not possible. How can you do that? Four monologues, no plot, no dialogue, no action, just storytelling. How do you keep an audience engaged? And I used to watch Donald McCann, the most brilliant Francis Hardy ever. And every night he entranced me. But it was the quality of Brian's storytelling. I walked across the yard towards them. I played Alice in Aristocrats and I played Grace in Faith Healer. And both those women, you know, Grace particularly, she was so hurt, so damaged. Sinead Cusack there in a clip from the documentary Shyman Showman and before that you heard the wonderful and late Donald McCann as Frank Hardy in Faith Healer. Shyman Showman goes out at 10.15 on RT1 on Thursday the 6th of January and Sunday Miscellany here on RT Radio 1 will also feature tributes to Brian Friel from Joe Darling among others and that's at 10 past 9 this Sunday morning on RTE Radio 1.